Welcome, welcome to the IB Sports Livecast. I am your host, Ronnie Carlton. We're going to have a very good show for you today. Hopefully we'll get better callers or I'll have to retire the livecast and try to get more guests and take a different uh, tack. I'm going to post that the livecast is live now on the page. And then we'll get right to what we are going to discuss for the day. Last night in particular, I didn't have many expectations of the national championship game. In fact, and I'm going to post it now. In fact, I almost didn't watch it. In some of the game, I didn't watch because I was a little distracted because of the just appeal to me, mainly because maybe the semifinal games or there was something that's just been missing from this whole football season for me. But the game exceeded even my wildest expectations. It was a great game, back and forth, a lot of action. Watson was tremendous. Saban and his coaching staff, even Lane Kiffin, who I do not like, I have to give a lot of credit to because they came out with a game plan. And this is part of what makes Saban, Nick Saban, so great, is he's adapted. He's adapted to the spread system. He's even incorporated some of it in his own offense. He did this game. They had a hurry-up. That's not what they had been doing typically. They ran a hurry-up offense. They went to the tight end over and over again when O.J., when he had not been focused or the focal point of the team all season long. And that's the kind of adjustment. The only side kick they saw on tape somewhere that Clemson was vulnerable to these kind of onside kicks because of how far away from the sideline they were. And they took advantage of it, and they took the risk. Saban is willing to adapt. Bill Belichick is willing to adapt. Chip Kelly, we'll see if he's willing to adapt. Pete Carroll came willing to adapt after two failed stints in the NFL. And that's what people are missing about Nick Saban and going to the NFL. I've always been the Missouri guy. you got to show me before I believe it. But there's different things to that. There's there's different levels to that. For example, yes, Nick Saban did fail as a pros, but does that mean he can't figure it out and adjust next time? Bill Belichick failed his first time in the pros. Pete Carroll failed his first time in the pros. What we know is that Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll are very good coaches. But if we had written him off and Pete Carroll failed twice in New York and in New England, and Bill Belichick failed and had to become a coordinator back under Parcells after getting a head coaching job in Cleveland. Heck, Nick Saban was even on the Cleveland staff back then. They had quite a collection. But if they had done that, if we had just written them off, we wouldn't see basically the two greatest college and professional coaches together of the last 25 years, possibly ever. Nine titles between the two men. And it easily could have been written off. Add him, that's 10 titles, lots of Super Bowls, lots of wins, yeah, or lots of championships. Now, as for Nick Saban, I think if the Giants said, hey, here's $10 million, do you want it? Then maybe we have to seriously consider what Nick Saban is. He, maybe he has to seriously consider it because that's a lot of money. And it's a, hey, do I have this itch that I need to scratch? Do I 
I need to go improve myself where I failed. And he's used the excuse to some degree of um let's see somebody's talking about calling in. But he's using the excuse of Drew Brees not being um cleared by the medical staff in Miami and if he had just had Drew Brees, he would have won and still been in the league. Maybe, maybe not. But the Alabama job would be appealing to anyone on any level at any time anyway. But that's how he's rationalizing his particular failure. Maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, but maybe he wants to get that opportunity. He'd have Eli Manning, who many believe is an elite quarterback. I do not believe that. I believe he's slightly above average. But either way you look at it, you know Eli Manning, given the right surroundings, is capable of taking his team to the Super Bowl and winning. You can't say that for someone like Dante Culpepper, of course. Now, where do we rank Nick Saban all time? That's an interesting question because you look at Bear Bryant, and that's so far ago it's hard to compare. Three of those championships came before segregation, folks. So, and I always kind of poo-poo those um, those championships with baseball as well and those titles because you're not getting the full you're, – you're not including the black athlete, which I think is a pretty big deal in sports. It's not a race thing. It's just you're excluding part of a segment that is a huge part of sports today. So, you know, it's hard to compare. I like to compare apples to apples. And in the modern time, you're looking at Bobby Bowden. You're looking at Joe Paterno. You're looking at – Tom Osborne's a name that came up too today. We had a very good conversation, and I've always felt like Joe Pa was a bit overrated. Joe Pa would have very consistent seasons, but he'd come up short a whole lot with teams that probably should have won, even going for the two-point conversion in the national championship game. Maybe Tom Osborne did that. Maybe I'm getting mine confused. Maybe that's how he had the the only championship he had. But Tom Osborne had a dynasty. Joe Pa never really had a dynasty. Bobby Bowden was able to catch him in the later years, even though Joe had much um, more experience and many more games. He still caught him. And then there's a scandal and whatever you want to do with that. I don't know. But people can decide what they want to do with that. But it's hard for me not to have a Nick Saban up. It really is. You've got Urban up there. You've got Bobby Bowden. You've got Paterno. You've got, I mean, maybe, I mean, do you conclude? Pete Carroll, because he has two, but it just wasn't long enough. There's so many variables where you have guys with short coaching careers, like relatively short, like Herb, but he still has, what, two, three titles, has three national championships. Saban has five, four at Alabama, four in seven years. So it's hard to quantify that. But Saban right now, as far as the modern era coaches, he's number one by a lot. And I don't even think that's debatable. And what we saw from Clemson in that game was just amazing. You had this back and forth game where Clemson just would not give in. They would not cave in. They would not allow themselves to be beaten until the very, very end. And it was just to watch Henry run and how big he is and how willing they were to tackle him. Most teams, when they play Henry, they aren't even willing to tackle him. They, they they don't seem as eager and as pumped up and fired up to tackle Henry 
as other teams. But Clemson, that's what they did. They were all over the field, and they kept coming back. And you've got to give Deshaun Watson some credit. 478 total yards. He carried the game. He was the X factor. He was almost flawless, except for that interception on a read that, honestly, anybody could have made because the guy saw that a wheel route was coming. He went off of his man, which is how to see the best quarterback. He went off of his man and checked on to the guy that was on the wheel route. Sean already looked it, was going to throw it because it was open. You got to throw it in anticipation, and you get picked off. I don't think necessarily, I mean, it's on him, but it's not. And he was just brilliant all game long, even at the very end, scoring that one more touchdown to cover the spread to make everybody happy. I'll have to give a really deep look at him to see whether we have a true pro prospect. But I think the Heisman race between McCaffrey and and Watson next year will just be amazing. One of these kids is going to leave college football and not have a Heisman, and they're amazing athletes, amazing players. And that's the thing about these rules that they have, that players have to stay a certain amount of time, but it, for in their best interest, you would think they'd be able to leave, they have to come back, and they get hurt, and you're giving your whole career away. So let me see if I can make some more uh, pleas for some callers. But we did have a funnier incident before I go to that. We have a funnier incident with the mom that was there, and she uh, brought a small baby. Now, who brings a small baby to a football game, folks? I don't understand. This baby was small enough to be in one of those little pouch things, carriers. I don't know. I wore them. I didn't like it when my kids were small. But the baby was small enough to be there in one of those, and she had him at the game with earphones. And I'm sure some people thought it was cute. I am not one of those people. <laughs> In fact, I, I think it borderlines on negligence. You don't know what's going to happen at these games. They're wild and crazy environments. Maybe the national championship is a little less crazy. And some college, like, for example, I'd take it to a UVA game maybe because they're kind of tame as a crowd, but – I mean, still, I just don't like babies in that kind of environment, and I'm not, I'm a father who raised his kids. And to have kids in that kind of environment, I just I just don't understand. And then we can get into the level of where it looks like she may have been drinking, and you're just like, what? Like, what is happening there? I don't understand. And we have a caller, 214. You're on the air. 214? Can you hear me, 214? Oh, 214 drop. Maybe they will call back. And, yeah, I was talking about the mother of the year at the Clemson game, and I just I don't understand what people are thinking. Leave your baby at home. If you can't find a sitter, I am sorry. That is part of being a parent. There are a lot of sacrifices you make of your personal joy and the things that you want out of life because you have kids. You know, I could blame it on a millennial thing, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say it was bad judgment. And then some people will say, oh, well, you know, you know, there was nothing wrong with that and da-da-da-da-da. Well, you know, it's just not the safest environment for a kid. You don't know if somebody's going to be playing around, push their friend into you and fall, or if there's a fight, or just maneuvering in and out of the people and the congestion. And it's just stadiums are not a place for a small child. I just, I'm sorry. They just aren't. And they're even more vulnerable 
than a toddler would be to some degree or a child is four, five, six, or seven who can sort of move out of the way if something's going on or they can even look over your shoulder or something to see if there's danger. They have some sense of how the world works. I, I just don't agree. I know maybe some people will feel differently about that. And then moving on through our subjects and things that are going on today, NFL news, we have Robert Griffin III's farewell message. I haven't said anything about that yet, and I wanted to make it a morning drive, and then I thought against it. I wanted to do a whole lot of things with it. But when you look at this thing, it's the same nonsense he's been pulling the whole time in D.C. All this subliminal stuff and these backhanded little digs and this passive-aggressive stuff. I can't stand passive-aggressive people. Passive-aggressive people, I'm just like, if you want to say something to me, just say it. Don't make me read between the tea leaves. Don't be take shots at me and I have to figure it out. If that, if you have a problem, just say it. But that's always what Robert did. He would go up there and try to act like he was the professional quarterback and he was playing the role, but then he would always slide something in there and then blame the media. He put that up there so the media would have something to say. So they would uh, try to make it into a story to get his message out. He is the one that's obsessed with the media covering him, but yet he gets mad and blames the media. Let's see, we got 217, maybe a person from the same person I call on a different phone. 217, you're on the air. Hey. You're being very judgy uh, again. Candace. Oh, you actually called? Yes, I did. I am very excited. What would you like to talk about today? Uh, about how judgy you were being again about the mom at the oh game. Oh my god, judgy. So why? So, so would you do that? I'm just saying though, would the same comments have been made if it was a father doing exactly the same thing she was? See, I wondered. I or would, would the comments have been more along are. the line of, "Oh, look at him. He's spending time with his kid." Yeah, I wonder. That's that's a good question because I thought I was like, "Are we getting into a female bash?" I know I would have said the same thing, and I think there have been plenty of times where you see a father doing something really stupid with a kid, and you're like, what on earth? You know, it's usually something that stupid, like taking a baby to a bar or something. It's usually something that's stupid, like it was odd to see a woman do something like this. But, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe if if a dad had had his kid there, they would be like, bro, this is so cool. We're taking a kid to the game. And I would have had the same feeling, but I don't know if people would have piled on as much. So there's some validity to your point, I think. And, I mean, she did take the steps to make sure the child had noise-canceling headphones. Yeah, I think she's got to take a few more steps to make sure. Well, <laughs> I mean, you can't, trust, you, you can't necessarily trust babysitters either, though. I mean, one of your points is, is you're not, you don't know what could happen at the game. Well, if you leave your kid alone with somebody, well, you don't necessarily know what could she's, happen then either. She's got a babysitter somewhere. So I don't think, I mean, she doesn't watch. Obviously, she's not a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> just, I'm just going to make that assumption right saying, now that she's not a stay-at-home finding mom. Finding babysitters is not easy. Okay, then that means At you got to sit down then. That's what that means. I know it's not easy. 
but that means there's some things you can't partake in. I mean, that's just life, but, you know, she chose to do that. But if some horrible accident had happened, it would have been a different story, so I don't know. Yeah, and it would have been on her. I mean, personally, if it was me in her situation, I think I would have rather taken my chances at the game. Then it's completely on me, and I don't sit there later on, you know, blaming somebody else. You're going to blame somebody else for taking the fight and fall on you and and hurt your baby. You're going to blame somebody else? I mean, she could have but fallen. But think about it, too, though. You're saying the baby is the issue. She's got the baby strapped to her. So already that kid is safer than, say, a toddler or preschooler or even seven or eight year old potentially is. I'm not sure about a seven or eight year old who can actually move out of the way. My kids are fast at seven or eight years old, can move out of the yeah, way. Yeah, but kids don't pay attention. Kids. kids are oblivious, they don't pay attention. Neither do adults. Did you see that girl get run over by LeBron James? Exactly. I mean, a lot of people are oblivious to games. But what I'm saying is that, I don't know, but a 70 or 8-year-old can get around and move around, and and they can withstand more than a baby can if somebody bumps into a daggone. Babies are made of rubber, dude. Well, then why can't you shake them? (laughs) If they really are made of rubber, you can't can't just shake them. You can't shake anybody hard. You shake anybody hard, you can get a concussion. How many people have, do you know that got shaked? How many people got shook, you know, that died? And how many babies have died from being shaked? Uh-huh. I know a lot of people that probably got shaken as babies. <laughs> and survived? Is that what you think? What is your team going to do? What's your team going to do this weekend? They're going to win this weekend. I, I actually think you might because too many people are going to Seattle and too. It's too and that's what we're going to do. We've been that. dealing with the hate all season. It fuels us. It, we, we're still catching it. We, you going to be out there? going to be out there? Us? Fuels y'all? <laughs> you Whatever. <laughs> no, I, think I identify very I, closely with my team. Dude, Everybody knows. Fanatics, too. Yeah, I, I think you guys, it just seems like your year, matchup-wise, I don't think it's a bad matchup. I think... Uh, Baldwin, I, I think Norman can handle Baldwin, which will really hurt Russell Wilson as far as what he's been doing because most of the stuff has been going on with Baldwin. It looks like Stewart might not play still. Do you know anything about that? We pray. He practiced today, full practice, so it's looking like he's going to be back. Maybe he The plan is for him to play on say, Sunday. And just say, nah. He's not going <laughs> to do that because he's actually happy where he is. <laughs> I don't think Marshall means is happy where he is. Unless he's like, you know, I don't Marshawn know. Marshawn has never been guy. happy unless he's got a joint in his hands. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. But so you, yeah, I think you guys can pull it off. But it just seems like all that they've gone through to lose the first game in the playoffs just would be terrible. I mean, that just. I mean, what would you view the season as if all you did was lose in the first round, or I guess the second round, the divisional round? I mean, it would be gut-wrenching. Progress. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a heck of progress. I mean, it's yeah. we, we still came together as a team, and we did far more than anybody expected them to do. So, I mean, I'm not going to, like, dwell on the negative stuff if that's what happens. I'm going to basically look on the bright side and just be like, okay, but look what we managed to do. You know, and maybe we'll have Benjamin back next play, year. Maybe you'll get lucky and you'll play Green Bay and – uh I think Green Bay would be easier. Well, to see, do. that's what a, you know. That would be nice, but 
I almost so I want to play won, Arizona. Though, I want Arizona hot. at this point just to prove everybody wrong. Everybody wrong. Such a such a uh, a complex about team. I mean, everyone's giving them respect. They just don't necessarily think they're. I mean, people do think they're going to win, but it's just other people think Arizona's going to win. Some people think Seattle's going to win. Some people think they're all are going to win. It's not like you're being ignored. You've got the coach of the year, the MVP, the most Pro Bowlers, the most All Pros, and you're singing "Woe Is Me." <laughs> Well, looking, judging by the IBS content, can you blame me? It's not just Everybody IBS. in there loves to hate on Kim. Carolina. You're stuck. No. Oh, my gosh. Cam's like the most popular athlete on the page. I said Carolina, not Cam. There's a difference. Well, he's a part of it. He's a big part of it. So, I mean, y'all, have, y'all get a lot of accolades. People just don't necessarily want to crown you, I guess. Too, because y'all are new to the party kind of as far as being like a, a legit contender. I know you went to the Super Bowl. 20 years ago, but... <laughs> it was not saying, 20 just, years ago. I know. It, it was 12. Yeah, but you aren't one of the blue bloods, so I guess it takes people a while. But you aren't usually bad either, so... And you, you've been decent since the cam... Well, since Keekly came, you've been pretty good. You've been to playoffs all three years of that, right? Yeah. So, it's like... I, I think people discount that. And then, you, I think the biggest thing issue that people have are the receivers. It's just like... How can they win with those receivers? I know. I asked myself the same question when Benjamin went down in training camp. I was like, well, there it goes. Yeah, that's interesting. And then somehow we pulled it off. Next year and how Cam got a lot better. Your O-line is very good. And um, Ted again, Ted again is a lot better than people think. Granted, he makes drops at the worst times and on national television. But so I think that makes it seem worse. Because, but I mean, then he the same game he'll catch one or two, and he's always open. So you know you've got to be open to drop him. <laughs> so yeah, I mean his drops actually that. work to our advantage in that way because people are like, what, oh, there's open? no point in covering him. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, do you have any other words of wisdom to give before I let you go? No, I think I'm good. All right, thank you for calling. All right, folks, that was Candace. We all know and love her, or some of us do. <laughs> as I was saying about the RG3 message, uh, it's just the same stuff that he's always done. He's always done this passive-aggressive stuff. And you would think of all that sitting, he would have been humbled. Now, he didn't speak to the media He's been pretty quiet about um, the situation. But I think that's more of just, like, don't make waves. And he always does that. Does that. He can stay quiet for a little while. But then he has to just insert that little thing, just that one thing, and he, he does it every single time. It's just a, it seems like a throwaway line. And in this line, he was hiding behind scripture and the poster that Mother Teresa had in the uh, the orphanage or whatever. It's just ridiculous. Like, why would anybody want all that drama? As talented as he is, he's not liked by his teammates. He just wants, like, worship and adulation, and he still really hasn't learned his lesson. We have another caller on the line. 
647, you're on the air. What's going on, gentlemen? It's it's the your neighborhood Redskins fan, Cody, calling in. Cody, what's up? What's going on, Ronnie? What's going on, the Redskins? I was just bashing you. Well, let me ask you about RG3 before we talk about the game. What what do you make of that farewell message he left on the locker? Um, not much of it, really. I mean, it's his, his little farewell. He had to you know, bid his adieu to everybody and let everybody know he was gone. But I mean. It is what it is. I mean, he kind of, you know, stayed out of the spotlight all season. It ain't like he had a big press conference or anything like that. He just, you know, left a poem or whatever it was, you know, and <laughs> and packed his shit and left. I mean, <laughs> plain and simple. <laughs> so what uh, – let's talk about the game. What did you think of the game? Um, I was I was excited at first. You know, we, we went out we got the – Got the safety. We were moving the ball really well. And when that touchdown or non-touchdown got called back by Deshaun Jackson, you know, I wasn't as bummed as most fans. I was like, look, we got the ball on the half-yard line, first down. We're going to punch it in and, you know, go ahead and get a good score, two, you know, two-possession game, whatever. And we couldn't get a damn touchdown. And I said, oh, shit, this going to hurt. And that yeah, was that, 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 the, the that, tide turned right there up. at that moment right. in the game. Yeah. Yeah, so it, that really hurt. He just does dumb stuff at the at the goal. I don't understand. You know, that wasn't as dumb as some of the other stuff he's done. But I just wondered, why not just put the ball out? Or I don't understand. I don't understand. But I felt like their no huddle really hurt y'all, and that got Rogers in the rhythm. Because at first they were just looking like they had looked all the whole other time, but the no huddle kind of got them into a rhythm. Oh, yeah, big time. Well, one thing we love. Uh... You know, our defensive line is more of a rotational defensive line and not, you know, the same guys play every snap. I mean, you see a lot of times Kerrigan, you know, on the bench, you got Murphy and you got Preston Smith out there. I mean, all three of them rotate pretty frequently throughout the game. I know Preston's gotten a lot more playing time than Murphy as of late. But, you know, then you got Knighton and Ricky Jean, Francois, and Hatcher. You can't have Hatcher out there for – for yeah, they all play. play. You do you much. You have to rotate them. Yeah. All so that that took the rotation out, and you could see they had no interior push after that. Those guys were just winded. I mean, and the linebackers did all they could do to drop into coverage. But I mean, when you don't have, you know, any pressure coming at Aaron Rodgers, and I mean, he'll just dissect you. It's plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah, you're giving that much time. And then on the other end, they really got after Kirk a lot more than I've seen anybody. In a while, it's been a, it's been a while since I've seen. Definitely since the eighth week, it's the first time I've seen them uh, since this half of the season. It's the first time I've seen people really get after Kurt. Yeah, well, they they started bringing Clay Matthews more. I don't know if you really noticed it coming out of that that middle backer spot, man. He was running a lot of stunts or you know things like that, and they just like you know screw it, you know they're not going to hit us in the middle of the field, but but with uh, Jordan Reed, he's going to be a little deeper anyway, so. They just kind of let Clay Matthews do his old thing, you know. And, I mean, it, it hurt, you know. But, I mean, we had Spencer Long go down early in the game. He came back in but bothered with an ankle or something like that. Lifting Steiger, he's been trash all season, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, the lowest rated center probably in the history of the NFL and PFL. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it was like an 18 before so. the game. It was really bad. <laughs> But so I tell you what, I was I was, okay. I was surprised that you know when they came out in the second half and we came out and we scored that touchdown, you know that that showed me that these guys you know have a little resiliency to them and a 
you know, they've definitely matured as the season's gone on as a team, but we just couldn't stop Aaron Rodgers. And, I mean, that was plain and simple. You and don't get pressure on him. That rotational thing that you were talking about, do you think that had something to do with the running game in the second half? Because they were just—I was surprised they were able to run on you like they did in the second half, especially. Yeah, I mean that played a big part in it. But I mean, all season long, for the first eight weeks, nine weeks of the season, we were just getting gashed, and it's right up the middle. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, we were supposed to hang our hats on with Terrence Terrence Knighton being up the middle, clogging up, you know, a big gap and. I mean, they just they, – they saw exactly where they needed to hit us at, and they did it. And, I mean, Will Compton, he was picking the wrong gaps a lot of times, you know, in his, you know, gap uh, scheme and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised that they were able to run yeah, the ball. Like I that. think, Once too, y'all were winning so many of those us, games. They, we started they had to pass on you. Okay. All right. Oh, what were you going to say? I said just, you know, once they got that one Eddie Lacy run on us on that fourth down, then the next run they got for 30-some yards. It just made the guys start start overthinking things too much. Yeah. One more question, and I'll let you go. Well, we'll get, get give it to Kurt. What do you think the skin should do with Kurt? Like overall, uh, the situation. Like I guess it's, it kind of works as both though, because Kurt kind of did the same thing the team did, and they flashed. And so, what what's the future of the Redskins? And throw Kurt and his future in there too. Um, I like the things he did. Like I said, I've always stated that I'm not a big Kirk Cousins fan. I don't think he has the arm strength. You know, I don't think, you know, he can overcome his deficiencies sometimes when he's not having a good game, as you saw on uh, on Sunday night. But I think he's the future right now for the Redskins. I don't think there's nobody in the draft that we're going to get. I don't think there's no pending free agents that are going to uh, be able to come in and pick up Gruden system day one. So, I think Cousins, you know, is our future for the next two years at least, but I think he knows that, his agent knows that just as well, and I think he's going to ask for the bank. But I don't see McLuhan doing anything irrational. I think that guy, you know, really turned our football team around with just the the midseason moves he made with just picking up Will Blackman and Mason Foster and Alex Smith and just guys like that. You know, I believe, that, you know, he'll make a rational decision and, and if nothing else, he'll franchise tag him for one season and see what he does from there. But I don't, I don't want him as the future of the Redskins. Put it that way. Yeah, it's kind of hard. Like you almost get stuck once you get a quarterback having a good season. You almost get stuck with it. But uh, thank you, Cody, for calling. I appreciate it. Hopefully, we'll get. If you're listening, call in or make a comment on the thread. We hadn't discussed the Bengals and Steelers mess, and. It's obvious what the Bengals did. The Bengals are basically who we thought they were. They are this team of people that the Cincinnati Bengals organization and Marvin Lewis took risks on, like Pac-Man Jones, like Vontez Perfect, and that exploded in their face. They were willing to take that risk, kind of live by the sword, die by the sword thing. However, we have to look at what the Steelers are doing. They're supposed to be this classy organization. They have coaches grabbing other players' hair. I don't care if he was reaching for the arm or what. You don't put your hands on another team. Really, it should be any player, but especially the other team. Why are you touching it? Why is Joey Porter on the field at all? Why is Mike Tomlin on the field uh, last year against the Ravens? Why do they have these issues with boundaries in the field? Coaches don't belong on the field, especially except for in certain situations. 
why are they continually having this problem? And they had some discipline issues. They weren't the only ones. It just wasn't the Bengals out there acting crazy. One thing that gets me very disappointed is that the referees don't take control. People are always like, well, the refs uh, did the best they can. No, throw them out. If they're out of control, throw them out of the game, and that will send a message to everyone else. You can't just keep separating them ten times. After a while, throw them out of the game because I'd rather someone get thrown out of the game than to see this mess that after every play you got to have a fight. And then when you do score, there's this big 20-minute celebration, like running down a tunnel. It just invites just ugliness and begets more ugliness and ugliness one after the other. The... Steelers accountable, not quite. I mean, of course, they have more unstable people on the steel, on the Bengals, so they took it further. But it's, it was just out of control, and it's a black eye on the league, and it's not. It's just I don't know how long the product can withstand some of these things that go on. And even after in the Super Bowl, when people let it go, where the uh, when Seattle knew they were going to lose, and they started a fight. Just like you can't, I understand it's a violent game, but within the context of the rules, you you have to play. And what Burfitt did, I mean, it's just unbelievable that they just let that stuff go on. And you see the stuff that happened with Beckham this year. And then lately, you or just the other day, I believe it was Pac-Man Jones accused Antonio Brown of faking it, and it's just. How silly can Pac-Man get? Not only did he have the deciding penalty of the game, because when he was going at Joey Porter, he hit a ref. Probably would have been allowed to stay on the field and not get a penalty if he hadn't tried to go through a referee to get to Joey Porter. You're so out of control that you're going through a referee to get to a coach from another team. What is wrong with you? It's the same Pac-Man Jones that brought thousands of dollars to a strip club and allowed the strippers and the people involved in the act to throw the money in the air as a visual effect, making it rain. And then when the strippers were taking the money that was on the stage, he ran on stage and attacked them. Of course, the bouncers responded, and one of his boys shoots the bouncer, and the guy is paralyzed for the rest of his life. And Pac-Man paid handsomely for that. This is this is the judgment of Pac-Man Jones. And I was the first person saying, this man is reformed. I heard him on an interview in the Dan Levitard show, and they're saying, this man is reformed. He's like, I've changed. I've had kids. I don't want my kids reading about me. And then after that, he goes on Instagram and just starts cursing out the refs and Joy Porter, or called him Jerry Porter. And then the next day, he has time to think about it, and the Dan Patrick show, and he still says Antonio Brown should have got a Grammy. And you dummy, it wasn't a Grammy. You don't win a Grammy for acting. You win a Grammy for singing. He should have won an Oscar, Oscar or an Academy Award. The mess. And we know that these kind of people are in football, but these are not the kind of people we want to focus on for the marketability of the league. Or maybe we need to see what kind of people are playing this game with Fontes and Adam Pacman Jones and on Devontes. He's always been a problem. Extremely talented player goes undrafted. Why? Because of his discipline issues. And now they want to suspend him for three games. He's had hit after hit 
and and situation after situation, and the league never did anything. They only fined him. Instead of fining him, he should have been suspended. Let me see. I think we got another call recently. Let me see. But instead of finding him, they suspend it. Now, when there's this huge thing going on, everybody wants to overreact. And now we're going to suspend him for three games. So we go from zero all the way to three games. Like, it's just not consistent. That was what I was trying to tell him, but he missed it. The league just overreacts instead of saying, okay, this is a progression thing. You know, to me, it would have seemed like he should get one game. Everybody just thought the hit was such a cheap shot, and the game was such an embarrassment. They wanted a scapegoat. Fontes Perfect was not the only person out of control in that game. Adam Pacman Jones wasn't the only person out of control in that game. The Steelers coaching staff was out of control. The Steelers were out of control. More in control than the Bengals, of course. But still, like, and it took away from the valor that Ben Roethlisberger showed with a torn AC joint, torn ligaments in his shoulder, probably couldn't throw the ball 20 yards, leading a comeback drive, and now would the kicker have made it from 50? I don't know. But he was leading him there, and it was really amazing to watch. But all of that was almost negated, or was negated as far as the public's perception of ugliness and the silliness that was going on. Like, I, I don't understand. All right, we got a caller. 757, you're on the air. Yo, what up? It's Chris. How you guys doing? Doing all right, man. It's just me tonight. It's only me. Uh, it's just you. What do you want to, uh, what's on your mind? Um, I was calling to try to do some NBA talk, I guess. Um, kind of see where your head's at as far as second half teams emerging and maybe talk about one or two teams that need to make a deal coming up because we're about to hit the halfway mark. So about to get interesting in the NBA with the, uh, with the NFL ending and everything. Yeah, it's definitely time to tune up for the NBA. Um, I'm thinking – I'm just really surprised that Golden State <laughs> hasn't, like, fell back at all. And they've only lost two games, so – I, maybe they're my second-half team because I think they might really break the record. But I like what the Clippers are doing. It'll be interesting to see because one time before, Blake uh, was the lead dog and Chris got hurt. Might have been last year, maybe it was the year before. And he did really well. I think it was two years ago. And now Chris, they're on a nine-game winning streak without Blake. It's just interesting to see how that team works and seeing that dynamic. Um, I'm thinking maybe the Pelicans is healthy. They can make a run at the eighth seed. But um, I don't know that we're going to have like a team that just kind of kicks it into gear in the second half. I think Cleveland's going to, uh, with Kyrie and everybody healthy, I think they're going to be pretty impressive. What do you? Who do you think? Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. I think uh, I think so I'm thinking about teams emerging and kind of uh, you know establishing themselves, I guess, more firmly. I think Oklahoma City has been playing well, but I think that they could probably be playing better and be more dominant. So I'm looking at them to maybe, you know, because they've been losing games like the Trailblazers and yeah, yeah, they, they so they I'm hoping, I'm thinking, game last I'm thinking that they, yeah, exactly. I'm thinking that they'll be able to kind of you know find this footing because it's really only been when you think about it last year when Durant was out for 
oh, it's, uh, what is it, 60, 70% of the season? So, yeah, he's been doing this a lot of time. You know, him coming back, it's really only been about 35 games with him and Russ back together. Granted, they've been playing together for a long time, but that does have some kind of effect. So, hopefully, they'll get their continuity back and just keep keep rolling. But um, other than that, yeah, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty sound as far as uh, I, I, I suspect some teams in the East will fall back. Um, the Hornets have already started. I think they lost like eight in a row. Uh, I think the Magic are going to fall back. But, yeah, I mean, it should be interesting. So, Yeah, the Hornets, uh, seven in a row, two of the last eight. They, I mean, well, they, they're two and eight in the last ten games. Yeah, they're ill. And that, that, to me, it's just, like, I could see the Hawks maybe figuring it out, maybe making a run. Not that they're playing bad. I mean, they won 60% of the games, but it's not like last year. I could see them. The Heat, I feel like, are going to stay where they are. They just are kind of what they are. And uh, the East, yeah. I don't really, maybe the Raptors, mm-hmm. but maybe the Raptors come on strong. Uh, the Bulls wouldn't be a bad, but I feel like somebody like the Raptors could come on really, really strong, but then not do anything in the playoffs like normal. Right, yeah. I mean, they're a bunch of regular season teams in the East, man. And the other thing is, I was going to say Detroit's kind of sneaky good this year. When you look at these teams that are, like, kind of surprising and these are just better than we thought, they're like one injury away from a complete meltdown. I don't even think Detroit could sustain. Yeah, I don't even think Detroit could sustain an injury to Reggie Jackson for no, ten games or so, let alone Drummond. So I mean, you know, yeah, some, they really some teams just can't afford to lose guys. A lot of teams are healthy, so we'll see how it shakes out. But I'm gonna uh, take off here, man. Thanks for having me on. Okay, appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Good All right, have a good night, Chris. All right, six four three. We're coming at you. Six four three. You're on the air. Yeah, son, I got, like, multiple numbers that I keep calling. It's so ridiculous. You're ridiculous. You'll, ne- you'll never get rid of me. I-, I swear I have a different number every time I call. I want you to call, but I don't understand it's, why. It's like I have a track phone, man. It- <laughs> Are you calling from a Reynolds rap phone? What is that noise? Nah, man, nah. I'm, I'm calling from work, yo. Don't So don't it's- post this online. Okay. Hey, uh, uh, y'all, people. I said, y'all were talking, Jesus, y'all were talking NBA? We were, but we we can talk any subject you want. That was just what Chris oh. talked. But oh, all no, I mean, subjects are open. Dalton, call Dalton. This is the live cast. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we haven't um we haven't really talked much about the NBA. And NFL is just so it's just so immensely popular. It's hard to get anything in about the NBA while the NFL season is going on. Yeah, but um, I but I, I mean, chain like storyline. Oh, go ahead. The the East the East has better games and they're competitive. Um I just don't see anybody doing anything special out there. Matter of fact, hey, put me on hold cuz I got to do something real quick. Okay. All right. He was at work and so at least he was I feel like a real show. So I was at work and then they had to go all the shows that I used to listen to as a kid that kind of thing would happen. Uh calls are still open for at least 15 minutes. I will read some of our interaction from the show. He had a bad connection anyway. Uh, the Hornets are without Avery Jefferson. Al Jefferson Chase says, which makes sense to um, why they're struggling. Let's see. All right. We have, let's do Chase's comment about, he says, I think the media is blowing out of proportion. Football is emotional. If you think about it, players have to be nearly insane to play football, specifically players who collide with another on every play. Speaking of, O-line, linebackers, running backs. That being said, you can't expect them to act rationally in that situation. I mean, 
Yeah. Yeah, I was agreeing with you, Jay. You were giving us the information. I do, but there's also a standard of conduct that players have to have, and every game is not like that. So, to me, there has to be something. That, I mean, that's why the officials are there and the coaches are there. So, I don't blame the players as much as it's kind of like children. I don't want to compare the players to children. But children are going to do what they have to do, given the situation and misbehave, whatever. But it's on the adults, the teachers, to rear them, to get consequences, because they're authority figures. And this is a really funny meme by Spencer. Uh, let's talk about whether Nick Saban should go to the NFL or not. I'm going to check and see if I have a call real quick. Uh, I wonder if he wants to come back. I can't tell if he wants to come back or not. But so we'll read off what people's opinions. Candace Carlson says, good Lord, no, to Nick Saban coming back. Brandon Fisher says, go to the NFL or become the greatest coach in college football history. Not a hard choice. You got three likes. He already failed in Miami once, Dalton Collins. I addressed that because I said Bill Belichick failed and uh, Pete Carroll failed their first trips. Okay, now Allen wants to come back. Let me check him back in here. Let's see. Here we go. IBSU is the code name. Yo. Uh, what were we discussing? Uh, we were talking about the uh, NBA, but we can we can stick to the script um, about Nick Saban. I actually uh, agree with what with anybody who says he's already tried and and it didn't work out. I agree with that. I don't think he should come back. But I mean, when you're when you're an alpha competitor and you win as much as he's won, and and his college career has been immensely successful. Uh, <clears throat> Rather than retire, a lot of times you see guys at the end of their careers want to try to go back and do something um, that kind of hindered them uh, later on, especially when you're talking about coaching. So I, I could see him maybe for the challenge wanting, wanting to come back, but um, I think it, somebody's going to have to pay a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money. <laughs> and these coaches, they are just as, they, uh, Dalton has a question, so he's going to ask. But um, and I'm, we're going to read that. We both can uh, talk about it. But uh, these coaches are just as competitive as the athletes. And I think what gets them going is when there's a failure, they want to prove people wrong. They know that people are saying, "Oh, he couldn't hack it in the pros." So he may not. He may be all right with that. But that's got to be in his mind. I think it would be in the mind of any competitive person. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's. Uh... That's logical, but I think one other thing that people don't realize is that the games are still so much different, and it's it's just a lot of BS that you have to deal with, I'm sure, at the uh, professional level. And then the attitudes of the athletes is totally different, whereas you can intimidate guys in college uh, to a degree. They're still, they're still developmentally mentally yeah. a little bit like children, so um, you can still get over on them. Um, but could you imagine yelling at, at J.J. Watt or something to get his ass to the line <laughs> and hustle. Like, that's not going to really work, man. And, and you get tired of that. Like, you know, as a as a coach, like, you get tired of that. And then, again, like somebody pointed out, you're going to be starting over more or less. You've been one of the most successful college people um, of all time. Do you want to put that blemish back on your record? So. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to let you go because your line is so, ugh, ugh. It sounds like you're in a helicopter. But thank you for your call. Unless you can call back, 
on another line, that would be great. I know you're you're working, so Saban wouldn't have recruiting advantages where he can bully teams with the run. That's a good point. A lot of state Saban's success, like Calipari, people are talking about him coming back at Calipari, is they they do out recruit other people and they are at blue blood for, uh, programs. And basically, if you're at Kentucky, anybody can recruit at Kentucky. Anybody can recruit at Alabama, and then they take it to the next level, which makes it almost impossible to beat them. So you wouldn't have that advantage. There's more of a level playing field. So that's a good point from Spencer. Let's see. Dalton just made a comment on one of the pages. Let me see what he said. He says, can't call, but listening. Can you talk about teams being one and done in the playoffs compared to not making it for draft position in the NFL? And you say Marvin Lewis should be fired. He's talking about me. And I've heard people say he should be replaced with assistant coach Hugh Jack. Aren't head coaching decisions helped by assistant? So how would things change if that particular move take place? That's actually a good point. Dalton must be sober because <laughs> kind of making sense. Yes, changing to Hugh Jackson, I'm not sure. A lot of people have good things to say about Hugh, and maybe people in the organization feel he's a better leader. But honestly, he just seems like the hot commodity and it seems like he has more to do with their success since their offense looks pretty good. But we did see that two-point conversion that didn't really work out. I'm not sure that he would be the answer, but that would be continuity, and you would feel like someone is um, being held accountable by firing Malvin Lewis. I would not. If I was them, I would not take Hugh Jackson, and I would fire Marvin Lewis. And I would find a coach that wants to deal with all the talent they have. And I think that would be a popular destination, despite having to work with that owner who's always been a problem and seems to have, or Marvin Lewis seems to have in his pocket or he trusts him or whatever. I I just could not deal with 0-7. I think there's a team with enough talent to win the Super Bowl. I believe that they have, top to bottom, the best roster in the NFL. So they built that up. And some of that, hey, Marvin gets the credit. But like Mark Jackson, I don't think he can lead them to the promised land. And I think it's unacceptable to be 0-7. It's unacceptable to lose your last four playoff games one and done. It's just not, to me, it's not okay. They're Also, they're not getting buys or anything. They're losing in the first round. And I just can't understand why people think that's okay. What's he going to do? You think he's going to manage? We've seen this movie seven times. And seven times he's failed. How many times we have to see it before we realize that that's as far as he can take the team? Even still, I want a coach that can lead them further than what their potential is. Instead, Marvin has the advantage from a talent standpoint and still loses. So, no, I can't defend Marvin Lewis anymore. (laughs) Chase says, keep Marvin Lewis. Uh, Dalton's invisible-ass comments. That's it. Oh, yeah, Dalton. But it's on another thread. It might be on my personal page, Spencer. But the thing, too, everybody says, oh, his quarterback was hurt. Well, he's not the first person to have a quarterback hurt. And Andy Dalton became the savior overnight. Andy Dalton lost the previous three. I don't know if they lost five or four. But Andy Dalton lost all the other ones. And now this is the year that Andy Dalton Let's talk about the Cowboys head coach. Fire him. It doesn't matter because Jerry's our coach. I don't care. You can fire him. Our team's a mess. We don't have a chance because Jerry Jones, unless we just out have more talent than everybody else, 
But as long as Jerry Jones is at the helm, our coach is as good as a puppet. But if you fire Jason Garrett, oh, well, we can do that. It doesn't change anything. Jerry's going to, whoever is just standing there, is just going to be have Jerry's hand up their tail <laughs> and him being the puppet master. So that's fine. But I know I know Jason Garrett is not 0 for 7 in the playoffs. <laughs> so, but um, I think we've covered, like, almost all the messages and all the comments. I was waiting on Jay to call, but he did call. The NBA should be interesting. I, the Spurs still haven't played Golden State soon. It might be tonight, but they play the Cavs soon, so that would be an interesting task. But I want to see, <laughs> I want to see the uh, Spurs and Golden State get it on. They played each other four times. Uh, I think either at the end of this month or starting in February, towards the end of the season. So that'll be interesting coming up. Playoffs are interesting. So far, I'm leaning towards Carolina, Denver, the skeleton crew of the Pittsburgh Steelers that's going to show up in mile high. I'm leaning towards Carolina over Seattle, uh, Denver over Pittsburgh, New England over the Chiefs, and what's the other one? And Arizona over Green Bay. That's what I'm leaning to right now, but I have to look at it a little more closely and see how that goes. (laughs) Jerry and Johnny have. Jerry and Johnny, uh, he's been there plenty of times. Jason Garrett has won two playoff games. I don't want to hear that. Um, and he's been, we've been three or four times there since there. Seattle and Kansas City. No, Kansas City's not going. But I'll take your money, Jay. Uh, I think that's all we got for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Jay, you didn't call in. Until next week, tell your friends. Livecast, Tuesday, 7 o'clock. Have a good one, everybody.